Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Enter Pipeline's fourth quarter and year-end 2020 conference call and webcast. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Jeremy Roberge, Vice President, Finance and Investor Relations of, Pipe, of Enter Pipeline. Please go ahead, Mr. Roberge. Thank you, Mary Emma, and good morning, everyone. On the call with me today are Chris Bale, Enter Pipeline's President and Chief Executive Officer, Brent Hagee, Chief Financial Officer, Jeff Marchand, Senior Vice President, Transportation, and Corey Neufeld, Vice President, NGL. On today's call, Chris will discuss recent developments, including our recently announced strategic review process and business outlook. Brent will remark on our financial performance and capital priorities, and I will conclude with a discussion on our recent financing and hedging activity, as well as our corporate ESG initiatives. I would like to remind you that certain information on this conference call may contain forward-looking information that involves risks, uncertainties, and assumptions. Such information, although considered reasonable by Interpipeline at this time, may later prove incorrect, and actual results may differ materially from those stated or implied by our comments today. Undue reliance should not be placed on such information. A discussion of the related risk factors, uncertainties, and assumptions is available in our MDNA, which you can find on our website or at cedar.com. Please go ahead, Chris. Thanks, Jeremy, and good morning, everybody. As we reflect on 2020, we're proud of Interpipeline's business resiliency and accomplishments during this difficult period of protracted economic weakness compounded by the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. We sincerely wish to thank all Interpipeline workers and their families, as well as our customers, suppliers, communities, and investors for helping us successfully navigate one of the most challenging years in our company's history. Brent, Jeremy, and I will first direct our remarks to the performance of the, remarks to the, performance of the business in 2020. I will address the strategic review at the end and then take questions. Beginning with All Sands Transportation, I'm pleased to report record funds from operations of $616 million during 2020. This business segment continues to be a foundation of our organization, providing stable cash flows supported by long-term contracts with strong investment-grade counterparties. Although the near-term growth outlook remains challenged by the current environment, we continue to be optimistic about the future. Recent producer consolidation has improved the strength of our customer base and demonstrates the adaptiveness of our industry. Additional pipeline egress out of Alberta through projects such as the Enbridge Line 3 replacement and the Trans Mountain expansion are supportive of all sense development and we remain well positioned to provide existing and prospective customers enhanced transportation services with approximately 2.3 million barrels per day of available capacity. Keeping with the transportation theme, our conventional business fundamentals continue to improve as volumes return to our pipeline systems. Fourth quarter volumes of approximately 165,000 barrels per day are over 25,000 barrels per day higher than the trough in the second quarter of 2020. As we progress through 2021, we expect volumes will continue to trend upwards towards pre-pandemic levels, 
supported by the recent strength in oil price, the completion of the Central Alberta pipeline system expansions, and the previously announced asset swap for the North River pipeline system. We continue to advance through the regulatory approval process and have updated our timing for the close of this transaction for the first half of 2021. Once completed, we expect to generate approximately $25 million of annual EBITDA, including both tolling arrangements and midstream marketing activities. Moving <coughs> to European bulk liquid storage, in November we successfully closed the sale of 18 million barrels of storage capacity across 15 storage terminals to the CLH Group. The transaction was valued at $727 million before closing adjustments with proceeds used to strengthen our balance sheet by reducing debt and assist with internally financing our capital expenditure program. Strategically, this divestiture refocused our efforts on developing our higher growth Canadian businesses. In the near term, the business outlook for our remaining storage assets in Sweden and Denmark is strong, as we expect high utilization rates as a, re as a result of increased demand for storage. Our last segment, NGL processing, had a challenging 2020 with significant price volatility. Strong operating performance was led by record sales volumes at Redwater and higher liquids extraction at our Cochrane facility, despite two months of partial outage during October and November. Looking forward, I'm happy to report that we've started the year with materially higher realized commodity pricing, and we are constructive in our forward view on segment performance. To provide stability while capitalizing on the current pricing dynamics, Interpipeline has executed several material hedges subsequent to the quarter, which Jeremy will discuss shortly. Next, I would be remiss if I didn't comment on the remarkable work completed on the Heartland Petrochemical Complex to advance the project despite the global pandemic. With strong compliance to rigorous health and safety protocols, we have been able to keep our workforce safe and successfully limit the impact of COVID-19. I'm proud to announce that we recently achieved over 10 million work hours without a lost time incident on site. With project completion in sight, we continue to transition our efforts from heavy construction to operational and business readiness. Major milestones during 2021 will be the substantial mechanical completion of the PDH facility expected in May, and then we'll, we will be in a position to ramp down its construction workforce and move to, into commissioning. The polypropylene facility will be mechanically complete late this year and commissioned in early 2022. We remain engaged in a process to secure a partner for a material interest in that project, which is expected to conclude in the first half of 2021. Though, as we have stated in the past, we remain fully prepared to execute HPC on a standalone basis. Commodity pricing tailwinds mentioned in support of our NGL processing business have also positively impacted the forecast economics underpinning the HPC investment. Specifically, the spread between propane and polypropylene has widened to approximately 1800 US dollars per ton in January, roughly 35% higher than the five-year historical average. This strengthening in price materially improves the indicative economics for current and prospective propane and polypropylene customers. In conclusion, the board has determined that the company will, in the near term, provide a fulsome commercial update on the status of contracting for the Heartland Complex. At that time, we will also provide additional EBITDA guidance specific to the early years of the project. As such, we will be issuing a news release on these matters in due course. 
Now I'd like to turn things over to Brent to discuss our financial performance and capital allocation priorities. Please go ahead, Brent. Thank you, Chris, and good morning, everyone. Beginning with consolidated funds from operations, Interpipeline generated $204 million, or $0.48 cents per share, during the fourth quarter of 2020, compared to $217 million, or $0.52 cents per share, during the same period in 2019. The decrease was largely attributable to conventional results, which are impacted by lower volumes and reduced midstream marketing activity. In addition, bulk liquid storage FFO decreased as a result of the sale of a majority of the European storage business that was completed in November. Partially offsetting the decrease was strong oil sands transportation results, as well as a relative improvement in paraffinic and propane plus frac spread pricing within the NGL processing business. For full year 2020, FFO was 792 million compared to 2019 FFO of 873 million. Record 2020 FFO was generated by the oil sands transportation and bulk liquid storage businesses of 616 million and 129 million respectively. Annual FFO was impacted by conventional results as previously indicated, as well as lower NGL pricing, particularly in the second and third quarters of 2020. Moving on to adjusted EBITDA, Interpipeline issued full year 2020 guidance in March of 780 to 810 million from cost of service and fee-based sources within the oil sands, conventional, and bulk liquid storage segments. I'm happy to report that we demonstrated our financial resiliency and generated $797 million in adjusted EBITDA, approaching the higher end of the guidance range. For the quarter and full year 2020, total adjusted EBITDA was $232 million and $962 million, respectively. Both FFO and adjusted EBITDA were negatively impacted by one-time expenses relating to the European storage sale that needed to be accounted for to normalize our results. Specifically, FFO was impacted by transaction fees of $2.8 million for the quarter and $14.1 million for the full year. EBITDA was also impacted by the transaction fees, as well as a realized loss on a foreign exchange financial instrument, which combined totaled $17.1 million and $28.4 million for the quarter and year-end, respectively. Now, turning to capital allocation, Interpipeline remains committed to maintaining financial flexibility and is well-positioned to self-fund our capital expenditure program, including HPC. With the three-year anniversary of project construction achieved in November, we have clear visibility to project completion and incremental cash flow, which will be directed towards accomplishing our capital allocation priorities. Our primary objective is to reduce debt followed by prudent dividend increases as business conditions permit. Decisions regarding Interpipeline's dividend are made by our board of directors and will be weighed against organic growth opportunities and share buybacks. Now I'd like to turn things over to Jeremy, so please go ahead, Jeremy. Great, thank you, Brent. 2020 was an active year for financing activity to enhance our liquidity position and refinance near-term debt obligations. In April, we closed a $1 billion unsecured revolving credit facility that matures in August 2021 and extended that maturity um, on our $500 million term loan facility to August 2022. In June, we issued $700 million of senior unsecured medium-term notes in the Canadian public debt markets, and proceeds were primarily used to repay $500 million of notes that matured in July. 
In November, we completed the partial sale of interterminals and used the proceeds to reduce indebtedness under Interpipeline's $1.5 billion syndicated credit facility. Overall, these financing initiatives resulted in almost $2.5 billion of available of committed capacity available at year-end. Subsequent to December 31st, we actually repaid $325 million of, of medium-term notes that matured in February with funds available on a revolving credit facility. In addition, we reduced the pricing margin and extended the maturity on our $1 billion unsecured revolving credit facility to December 2022. Concurrently, Interpipeline also reduced borrowing costs associated with its $500 million term loan facility. Interpipeline has no remaining debt maturities in 2021 with our primary $1.5 billion facility maturing in December 2024. Moving to risk management, Interpipeline has been actively increasing its focus on optimizing and reducing risk to commodity-based cash flow. As a result of strengthening commodity prices in December, Interpipeline began to enter into a number of commodity swaps that have terms between one and 12 months. For the first quarter of 2021, Interpipeline has hedged approximately 40% of its propane, polymer-grade propylene, butane, and condensate volume exposure. For the remainder of the year, Interpipeline has additionally hedged approximately 35% of its polymer-grade propylene volume exposure. These commodity hedges lock in strong pricing and are part of our strategy to actively manage commodity exposure and stabilize funds from operations. Lastly, to remark on corporate ESG initiatives, We began reporting on our sustainability efforts in 2016 and issued our inaugural sustainability report in 2017. Since then, there has been an accelerated focus to develop and enhance our corporate ESG platform. Our third sustainability report will be issued in the fall of 2021, and we continue to actively work on the creation and implementation of formal ESG targets. Although it is premature to discuss what specific ESG targets we intend to set, we have made commitments that we intend to build on including examples such as the Black North CEO Pledge, a three-year partnership with Women Building Futures, and a 10-year, $10 million partnership with Northern Alberta Institute of Technology, known as Plastics Research in Action, to research plastic recycling and waste reduction. Now I'd like to turn things back over to Chris for some final remarks. Thanks, Jeremy. We also announced yesterday that following the recently announced unsolicited expression of interest for the company, that we will be conducting a comprehensive review of strategic alternatives to maximize shareholder value. The process will be overseen by a special committee made up of our independent directors. Our board, consistent with its fiduciary duties, will evaluate a broad range of options, including exploring a possible corporate transaction and continuing to seek a partner for material interest in HPC. The company has not set a timetable for the conclusion of its review. In the interim, we remain focused on executing our strategy to maximize shareholder value for all of Interpipeline shareholders. This concludes the formal portion of the conference call, and I'd now like to turn the meeting back to Mariama to open the floor for questions. Thank you. Thank you. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster.
Your first question comes from Praneet Satish with Wells Fargo. Please go ahead. Thanks. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, just just to start off on the um, on on the Brookfield proposal uh, and your your plan to release more information on HBC contracting uh, and update EBITDA forecast. You said in due process. Just wondering if you could provide uh, any more clarity on on when that would be. Um, do you plan to provide something before your next earnings call, uh, or will it be when you uh, when the search for a partner concludes? Well, as we mentioned many times, we've been in been regular contact with the board on determining the appropriate timing for releasing more detailed information on contracting, and and the board clearly feels the timing is right. Currently, the timing is right now, given the the business dynamics going on. Um, I'm highly confident that we'll be in a position to release more information well in advance of uh, uh, the Q1 results. Okay, great. Uh, and then just in terms of your interactions with Brookfield, have you uh, spoken to them since the, their bid was uh, proposed? Um, have you engaged with them at all, and have you provided any more um, uh, information on HPC contracting to them? Well, I don't think it would be appropriate for me to comment on confidential discussions that the board may have had with Brookfield. I, I think the, the most material thing to point you to is the strategic review that was announced yesterday. The board uh, clearly came to the correct decision that running a disciplined, comprehensive process is the best way to maximize shareholder value. And just you know, a few comments on the process, and a lot of this I went through in my prepared remarks, but a special committee has been established of independent directors to review this process and manage the process. We have retained TD Securities and, and JP Morgan to assist with advice to the special committee. And really the intention is to evaluate a broad range of corporate uh, options, one of which obviously is, is a possible corporate transaction. And I think it's fair to say that the the boards um, certainly wouldn't preclude including Brookfield into that process if they would participate. However, no timetable has been set and certainly no decisions have been made regarding strategic alternatives. And the board's fully prepared to, to keep the shareholder base well informed on the process um, as appropriate. Thank you. Your next question comes from Robert Cadillier with CIBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Uh, just first on the uh, hedging, are you prepared to disclose the uh, hedge prices for, um, uh, particularly for the frac spread, or are you still actively um, uh, engaging in reducing risk and then therefore not willing to make those disclosures? Yeah. yeah, hi, <clears throat> hi, Robert. It's Jeremy. Um, we'll be disclosing those in our Q1 results. We're still in the middle of, of looking and reviewing our, and executing our hedging strategies. So other yeah. than commenting on the specific yeah. volumes that I mentioned in my prepared remarks, uh, we're not going to get into various pricing for the various commodities that we have hedged. We do have a very comprehensive risk management policy that we did put in place, and that policy allows us to hedge up to 80% of our exposure for an 18-month period. So I think it's uh, prices look like they've been quite strong, and we've been able to to lock in a few of the hedges. But we're not going to get into the into the details of those until we're uh, required to report those in a in a public fashion. Yeah, that makes sense. And just uh, going to the uh, uh, the Brookfield proposal, um, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but in 2019, IPL acknowledged the existence of a conditional bid for the company, but did not disclose the uh, indicative bid range uh, due to the number of subjectivities and conditions. Uh, is that correct? And are you willing to uh, disclose that price now? Um, no, I think we our public remarks regarding the conditional indicative proposal of 2019 stand on their own. I think the board is clearly focused on the future and has established, as I just mentioned, the strategic review process that that they each feel confident will crystallize the maximum shareholder value for uh, for our investor base in due course. Okay, and then uh, just um, what do you think you need to see from a partnering process um, um, to not take the company to a fully marketed auction process? So under what circumstances can you envision uh, partnering to generate more value for shareholders uh, than soliciting bids for a company? And I was hoping that you could address both value, which is obvious, and then uh, more importantly, what other partnership attributes uh, do you think would add value to uh, shareholders? Well, I think, I think I need to be very careful not to speculate on hypothetical scenarios here. I, I just want to be very clear that the board is fully engaged and they're going to consider a broad range of options that they believe will maximize shareholder value. That, and again, that could include a corporate t transaction. It could include a material sale of the Heartland project. But I don't want to get ahead of the board on, on that topic. Okay, and then just uh, finally, my comment would be: I think the um, uh, the information you intend to put out uh, on HPC, particularly with respect to contracting, is uh, very important because, as you know, uh, the market pays more for certainty. And uh, I think uh, you know, knowing the contract level at uh, HPC is an important factor on that. So I'll just leave it there and get back in the queue. Thank you. Your next question comes from Robert Kwan with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Great. Good morning. Um, just kind of coming back to the review here. Um, first, just on timing, do you anticipate that the special committee, though, would have the, the full evaluation done um, in time for that 105-day permitted bid period, and then just as it relates to evaluating all the, the potential alternatives, do you see that as being independent from the partnership discussions, or do you see that partnership would be held up pending the board's evaluation of all the different options and then selecting the one to go with? Well, on your first question, I think the board fully understands the timeframes involved. Um, if Brookfield makes a formal offer to shareholders for, for IPL. And I think the board is prepared to conduct itself accordingly in that regard. And again, coming back to the, the partnering process, I think the board is looking at this holistically. The most important thing is to consider all options to maximize shareholder value. Preclude any one option over another at this point. So put differently, if you... And again, I don't know if you want to answer this because it's hypothetical, but if you were in the final discussions here on partnering, you had a deal that came together in the next week. Um, it sounds like from your original answer that given the looking at it holistically, that that would be held up pending the, the full review to make sure that you're maximizing uh, value. Is that fair? 
Yeah, Robert, I think it's very important for me to stay away from hypotheticals like that, so I'm, uh, I'm not prepared to comment. Understood. Um, maybe last on the review. Uh, you talked about a wide range of alternatives. I guess there was a couple of things that were put forward. Um, can you talk about maybe some of the other things that might be on the table, whether that's sale, larger sales of existing assets or, or even partial interests of, of large um, you know, material segments? Are those types of things that will be looked at or, or is it really mostly confined to aspects of the two things that you laid out? Well, Robert, I'd point you to the words that were chosen uh, for the news release that the board is looking at a broad range of options, and, and I, I don't want to speculate on what those options may or may not be, and get once again get ahead of the board with their deliberations in this regard. Fair enough. Um, if I can just clean it up, clean up one question here on the oil sand segment, there was some reference to remediation costs in the quarter. I'm just wondering, were those recovered in revenues this quarter? Um, or is it future quarters, or are they, those just unrecoverable? Yeah, Robert, it's Jeff here. Those are recoverable and being being recovered under the terms of the contract. And so, were they recovered in the fourth quarter revenues, or or were it looked like fourth quarter margin was a little bit lower than previous quarters? So, is that just timing, and it'll put itself up in twenty one? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of pieces in there. There, but essentially, we are recovering costs in revenue as part of our capital fees and our operating fee recovery under those contracts. So the answer is yes, we're getting them. There is a bit of a timing difference, um, but it's fairly immaterial. So it came out of Q4. It'll come back in, in 21. Yes. Perfect. Thank you. Your next question comes from Patrick Kenny with National Bank. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning, guys. Um, just on the dividend here, and I guess in light of the, the commercial disclosure for Heartland on its way, uh, curious how you're thinking about you know the timing for resetting the dividend back to more of a I'll call it normalized payout ratio, and you know obviously you have to execute the project first on time on budget, but you know with this disclosure, if there is visibility towards sustainable long-term contracted EBITDA from Heartland. It, does this give you an opportunity to, to then at that point give shareholders um, any, any comfort around, you know, going back to a, a more normalized uh, dividend level? Of course, again, conditional on no further cost overruns and no impairment to the base business. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that question, uh, Pat. It's Chris. You know, obviously this is a pivotal year for the company. We, you know, we're three months away from substantial mechanical completion for the PDH plant, which is the, the larger and more complicated of the two facilities. And the polypropylene facility will follow there shortly thereafter at the end of the year. And um, our commissioning uh, date uh, remains intact of early 2022. And so at that point, um, once we've commercialized the facility, there, there, there will be substantial EBITDA, incremental EBITDA coming into the organization, which uh, which we'll disclose, as I mentioned, uh, um, in the near term here. And that in and of itself will drive our payout ratio to be really quite low. So I think at that point, the board will have uh, lots of optionality, depending on the current business environment, to consider uh, dividend increases as well as management of the, of the balance sheet. Okay, got it. And then I guess another question is just, 
you know, it looks like one of the ways to crystallize value here for shareholders is, you know, improving the ESG narrative around the story, either in the hands of a new owner or, you know, as a going concern. So, but just thinking outside of just aligning disclosure and emission targets and whatnot, you know, what other strategic moves from a business mix perspective could you think of making here, albeit, you know, in a bit of a crunch time frame, but, um, any other asset uh, portfolio optimization opportunities here in the next few months that, that you could be thinking of from a, from an executive level perspective? Well, two things that come to mind immediately are, are is HPC and our off-gas processing business. Both of those platforms have a great ESG story uh, underpinning them. Our off-gas processing business, by virtue of Ripping out these high-value liquids out of the off-gas stream at the Horizon and Suncor upgraders um, substantially reduces the GHG footprint of those operations. Uh, and secondly, as we've mentioned many times in the past, HPT itself, um, with the technology choices that we've made and, and the substantial investments into uh, generating our on-site power as well as consuming our on-site uh, produced hydrogen as a fuel source, means that uh, our polypropylene will have a 65% lower GHG footprint than comparable projects around the world. And in this environment, particularly where plastics are, are both very necessary and in high demand, I think really uh, is a great story for inner pipeline on an ESG basis. Okay, thanks for that, Chris. I'll leave it there. Your next question comes from Jeremy Tonnet with J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Great. Just wanted to come back to HPC, if I could, to the extent you're able to discuss. If I think about the, you know, the construction process as a whole, what are the largest obstacles left for HPC? And how do you think about uh, risk for additional cost overruns, delays at this point? Have you, have you guys kind of, you know, gotten everything in a good working uh, process with, with COVID? Just wanted to get an update on, on your thoughts on those topics. Well, I think given the how far advanced we are with the PDH facility, we're, we're quite confident in our view on bringing that to mechanical completion here in the next several months. I think... The more macro issue around the project is, you know, we're still managing through COVID. I'm, I'm very pleased with how the team has been able to progress this project through, through the pandemic. And, but that still remains a, a risk that we have to manage. You know, we're not out of the woods yet. That means we're around the corner, but the rollout will take time. Uh, and we have on site um, over 3,500 people uh, as we speak. So that requires just constant attention. And, and that's, I would say, one of the areas that we remain very diligent on in terms of executing this project. Got it. That's helpful. Thanks. And then just wondering, you know, for the project overall, uh, could you generate much EBITDA from the facility before it's in full service in early 2022? Just wanted to think about what, what could be possible there. Thanks. Um, I think in the EBITDA we might generate, or revenue more importantly, I guess that would be a better way to characterize it, um, would be quite immaterial, Jeremy. As we commission the PDH facility uh, in the back half of the year, uh, there obviously is the potential to generate some polymer-grade propylene, 
but we think the amounts will be relatively small from a sales perspective, uh, especially considering you need to build up a, a pretty substantial amount of PGP inventory uh, before you start up the polypropylene plant. Got it. That's helpful. I'll stop there. Thank you. Your next question comes from Andrew Kuski with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, I, I guess as we think about the bridging exercise between now and the completion of HPC, could you provide any color on just maybe how the dialogue has changed in relation to either the contracting process on HPC or really seeking a partner, just given what's happened in, in commodity markets overall, and in particular in polypropylene prices? Well, that's a great, that's a great uh, question, and we tr tried to make that point in my prepared remarks, that the margins are certainly the highest I've ever seen uh, in terms of the analysis that we've done. So I think, obviously, that's a, an important tailwind if there, as negotiations progress with prospective both partners and uh, customers. So, you know, today, uh, which obviously the plant's not running, but if it was running today, the, the rough math on the uplift of Alberta propane producer would crystallize uh, through our facility is about triple the underlying value of, of propane, which um, not only is it a, a powerful diversification um, story for a producer, it's also economically quite lucrative. Okay, that's, that, that, that's helpful. And then maybe related to just the processes you have in place at HPC and you think about value maximizing across the, the whole enterprise. What's the balancing act of you know, bringing in potentially private capital and having partial interest in certain assets? How, how do you think about just that balancing act of crystallizing value now uh, versus maybe complexity? Well, uh, that, that's obviously a consideration as we move through the partnering process where we are looking at the long term we're not just trying to uh, um, consider the impacts to the business over the next six to 12 months. It's do we have the right partnering, partnering relationship for, for decades? So that's a, a very important consideration that we've got to balance. Thank you. <clears throat> Your next question comes from Rob Hope with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, a follow-up question on the uh, the partnering process for HBC. Given the Brookfield bid, have you re-engaged with all the parties involved, and have there been any changes just based off of uh, uh, the events that's been that have been have since transpired? Um, all I could comment on, Rob, in that regard, is that the process remains active and ongoing with with parties involved. Okay. Uh, thanks for that. And then just in terms of the, the new hedging policy and the risk mitigation policy, you know, does this uh, include HBC in the future and have you, you know, potentially, you know, thought about uh, adding some hedges just based off where some of these uh, commodities are trading on right now? Robert. I'll take that one, Rob. Okay. Go ahead, Brent. Sorry. Yeah, no, you, you you make a good point. You know, it's it's a little bit early um, <clears throat> right now, um, Rob, to be uh, considering putting on hedges. And yes, albeit you know uh, prices are really really 
good right now, but you've got to look basically, well, you know, how much further could you hedge out? Uh, but, you know, I think that that'll be more of a decision that'll be made as we get closer to ramping up the facility. And certainly, you know, that's something that we would consider for the commodity exposed uh, portion of, uh, of HPC. All right, thank you. There are no further questions at this time. I will now turn the call back to Mr. Roberge for closing remarks. Great. Uh, thank you for participating on our conference call today, and we look forward to discussing our first quarter 2021 results with you on May the 7th. Goodbye. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.